0: Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement. So you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. At the end of the day in our lives, there's nothing we desire more. Than love, to be chosen by others and given their affection, devotion, and commitment. Yet relational statistics showcase we are pretty poor at achieving peaceful, enduring, and really fulfilling love. Bottom line, most of us are doing it wrong. We define love incorrectly and we pursue it errantly. That may sound like a big claim, but I think in a few moments you will agree with me and find a new lease on your ability to arrive at love immediately. My guest is Humble the Poet. He's a Canadian born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, internationally best selling author, and former elementary school teacher. What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years for humble crossing genres, mediums, and oceans. Even his first two books unlearn and things nobody can teach us have become international bestsellers. What caught my eye was his huge social media following and him using that platform to help people learn and grow. And in this case to love his new book is called how to be loved. And friends, I read the book and it just resonated. It was a little mind. It was a big mind shift actually, which is why I ultimately invited him on the show. I have so many high-profile doctors and professors and researchers, and yet Humble speaks from the research in his own life, very instinctively and intuitively. He headlines the concept of his book with, love doesn't have to be earned or found, it has to be realized. Don't let that just sound like a pithy statement. Listen to what we're about to cover And you'll understand why it's so powerful. This show is going to change your paradigm on what love is and how to finally with peace realize it. Find Humble's new book, How to Be Loved Anywhere, and find him and all his social media at humblethepoet.com. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, it would be great if you would let us and our guests like humble, know. leave a review. Best thing you can do is talk about what you heard here with someone else, help it resonate with you more by discussing it and, uh, bless somebody else by giving them a great topic to talk about. You can always find me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co next up my conversation with humble, the poet on redefining and realizing love. Humble. It's interesting. Last week, I spent about three hours with Dr. Robert Waldinger. He's professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. And my talk with him will publish after this show drops with you. And he heads up the world's longest scientific study on happiness. And the punchline of it is it's relationships. Mm. Here then comes your book that I've been deep into the past Couple days, and you are not a—you uh, know, you were a school teacher. You're not a doctor, not a professor, not at an Ivy League uh, college. You're a rapper, a poet. Um, and in the intro of your book, you say, "If we dig to the root reason of why we do anything in our lives, it's because of love." Which I'm going to say. Relationships, and I just loved that coming from you, because, like you, I'm not up in an ivy League tower, I have no pedigree, no doctorate, whatever I've just kind of been living life, and here we are I mean, I got to tell you, your book just resonated strongly with me, and that's why we're sitting here and uh thank you thank you
1: thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for making time to read the book, you know these days, the investment required to sit down and read a book, you know. Uh, it feels more and more uh, expensive for people, so I really appreciate you doing that. And, I um, yeah,
0: I I, I appreciate yeah. that. It it does, uh, and you know that as, as well as I do. And, and but I like that for you to be. You know, answer that because I, I feel a kindred spirit in that. Who am I to be sitting here talking about self-help with all the best self-help books written by a lot of people with the big pedigrees? I don't have that. And yet I've lived a lot of life and I'm, this is what I study. And so how even in, your, in yourself, how have you come to your quick trajectory on coming from where you did to say, man, I've got something to offer. And you've written a book on love, man. That's a big, yeah. I don't, it doesn't get any deeper.
1: I, I feel like my entire life, I've been, I've been just chasing the journey of being a lifelong learner. You know, I loved being in school. I loved being in elementary school, middle school, high school. I loved learning. Um, and then I think my journey as becoming a school teacher was that it was to be in an environment that was dynamic and 30 years into the job, I, I'd be able to confidently say I hadn't seen it all. I think, you know, my approach to a lot of my work now is, yeah, I don't think anyone necessarily has to has to live in the ivory tower and and, you know and have all the the acronyms in in front or behind their name Um, I always frame myself as the kid at the front of the class taking the best notes and who's willing to share them Mm -hmm. you know because I am a lifelong learner and I want to learn about things and I want to better understand why I have gaps and blind spots in some of these areas because oftentimes it's what we've been taught media, religion, society, tradition, um, or even some of the own internal voices in our heads. So for me, it's, it's super important just to continue learning and to be able to create a life around it where I'm serving former versions of myself and then taking those learnings and sharing them with other people who find value in them. That puts me in the situation to keep doing it. But um, for me, it's definitely the learning and the unlearning process, which uh, allows me to feel alive and allows me to feel like my life has some level of dynamic elements to it yeah. versus me simply being on autopilot for the rest of my life.
0: You said in the beginning of the book, and I pulled out the quote, I didn't start writing this book because I'm an expert on love, but because I'm desperate to realize love, accept love and learn how to quit messing it up. Uh, and again, I, well, you know, your name is humble, the poet, it's, it's the humility of that, that you wrote this sharing that, yeah, you are on the journey. That's what I feel like I do here with the show. I have people on, and this is the conversation I want to have over coffee as I mm. glean from what you've learned. I don't think I've ever asked anyone this, but because you're, uh, your name is humble. I'll ask it. It's interesting that I read the book and I see the wisdom in it, the insight, and I resonated with it. How do you feel like you fall? Like I've seen this. So here you are. You wrote this stuff. You perceived this stuff. You were aware of this stuff. Now it's in a book. We're going to read it. I'm going to benefit from it. Thousands of other tens of thousands of people are going to benefit from it. Where do you rate yourself on? Yeah, I know and recognize that stuff, but here's where I am on actually doing it and following it.
1: Um, That's a great question. I feel like I'm, you know, our best teachers are our mistakes. I've been making a lot of mistakes and I think now I've entered you know, this next phase of my life with my eyes open, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not making the same mistakes still. We all know what healthy food choices are and what unhealthy food choices are, and we all still make some unhealthy food choices every now and then. And I think I'm in that same capacity. So um I think the biggest thing, the insights that I've gleaned through the research and the living to create this book actually provided me is the fact that if I do... Make a poor decision, or I, I choose a short term over long term gratification. Um, I do it with a level of awareness, or I have to accept the consequences with a level of awareness that uh, I didn't previously do. So I'm not a victim of my own doing as much anymore. Yeah. So if I decide, okay, here's a person that is not good for me, and I know they're not good for me from the jump, and I still pursue them because they're gorgeous. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, when that blows up in my face, uh, I don't feel sorry for myself. Like, you, Well, we knew that was going to happen. It's like, you know, you know, if you, you know, eat a bunch of junk food and you got to spend the morning on the toilet after, you know, it's kind of like you saw it, causality causality is pretty consistent. So I think I look at it from that standpoint. So I guess the best way to look at it is I'm not feeling sorry for myself very often anymore.
0: I appreciate that. Just the awareness yeah. such as today as we record, it's actually my birthday. Oh,
1: happy birthday. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And so to lap around the sun. Yeah. Tonight, I I will, I'm going to imbibe, but at least I'm aware enough. So I know that my sleep will be disrupted. Tomorrow will be a little off and I'm okay with that. And and awareness is such a thread that we're going to be going through as we talk about the book, as you wrote in the book, awareness, self awareness, social awareness, and then that other aspect of short and long term. Gains, if you want to call it. I will say, man, as I read that, especially as I got into the latter part of the books, humble, I'm just so aware, or I guess it was even confirming in a self convicting aspect of how I have lived the majority of my life. I came into and walked out that romanticized view of love, one. And then with very little, with as much as I awareness and discipline and growth oriented person that I am, how blind I was to my own self-awareness, looking in the mirror, who am I, who am I emotionally and realizing, and I actually hadn't said it this way until I got to the latter part of your book and it came through. I thought I've mainly used myself as a tool. Mm. I'm a tool for achievement. That's what Kevin is, Mm -hmm. man. I don't need to look in the mirror. I'm just going to, you know, strap on the right clothes, go after it. I'm a tool for achievement. And that's what I did until I burn out Mm. Uh, until I came to my end, which is why I'm, that's a big reason on why we're sitting here today. And I'm pursuing Mm. this type of information. So there's my premise and why your book, man, it just, it just flowed so well. you got it in three parts, what is love and then loving self and loving others and um just well done on the format it's like writing a good song which you do as well and it just mm. it flows so well and it just resonated with me and uh so i'm eager to i'm eager to break down some of the issues in it
1: oh no thank thank you so much and i think you know as as you said it's it's you know, the, the subtitle is, you know, simple truth for going easier on yourself, yeah. you know, and empr- embracing imperfection because we, we push ourselves so much to do so much. And I think for me, what I, what I'm realizing is, you know, my journey. Is you know my my actual ten thousand hours is putting the words together. It's not I'm not the source of the wisdom. I'm I'm yeah. here to to break it down and, and make it digestible. The same way when I was an elementary school teacher, I I worked with kids and I had to figure out how to communicate an idea to you know eight year olds and nine year olds. It's it's the same thing where I'm taking topics that I selfishly want to learn more about, mm-hmm. and I'll read the philosophers, I'll read the studies, I'll read the science, I'll read the poets, I'll read the religious scholars, I'll read the self help books i'll read the dating advice books I'll i'll do as much as i can and then when i start to see the patterns and parallels break that down in a way that everybody can understand and you know making that clear differentiate uh the differential between simple and easy love is simple love is not easy um and i think for me it it was definitely that journey especially you know as we you know, kind of navigate this world of, you know, what's referred to as wellness or self-help, you know, I've, I've been kind of welcomed by certain communities with open arms. And very often I see this linear approach to it, which is like, Hey, I was really messed up. And then I learned a bunch of stuff. And now I'm not messed up anymore. Yeah. So, you know, for six easy payments of nineteen ninety-five, you can also not be messed up. <laughs> yeah. And shoot, that was know. the
0: intro for this show, man. You just totally blew that out of the water.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I think what I'm realizing is just like, no, like life's a cycle. It's like, hey, I was messed up and I learned a bunch of stuff. And now I'm less messed up, but I'm still messed up. And let's be messed up together on this journey. And let's learn things from each other. And our best teacher is gonna be the mistakes and the dumb things that we do. And it's just about taking time to reflect that these things happened for us and not to us and that that was that was the reason this book came out the way it did because as i said i you know for anyone who who ends up reading the first you know the first chapter the first story of the book you know this is completely inspired by a, a failed relationship and my desperation to not continue that pattern yeah you know this isn't me saying i figured it out and now i have a lovely wife and, and three and a half kids and i'm living happily ever after now you guys should learn from me it's, it's the exact opposite it's like i keep messing this up i want to know why i keep messing this up i want to know why everybody else seems to have it figured out instead of me and then the deeper dive i went you start to realize like oh okay maybe everybody else doesn't have it figured out either and um you know maybe we can approach this from a, a world of authenticity mm-hmm. and maybe sometimes the best thing we can do to realize love is is be by ourselves. For an extended amount of time,
0: uh, I just did that for two days. I, I so I just turned fifty two today. Married thirty years. I have wow. nine kids. Wow! I don't have it figured out. Uh, mm. We're sitting here talking about it. I am. I'm. Yeah. I'm deconstructing a lot and figuring out to, yeah, you talking about cycles. I tend to think so often about spectrums, man, I'm on the spectrum and there's spectrums in spectrums. So in the mm-hmm. spectrum, so if you want to talk, man, some areas I'm, I'm doing so well in some areas I'm realizing my blindness and I don't even have a file to build something new yet, mm-hmm. but I'm working on it. And you, you know, starting off on this, talking about words and understanding of just saying, what is love? And, and what you got me to thinking is just, how do we perceive love? And Mm. I love words, you know, if you look up the basic definition, love is an intense feeling of deep affection. And along with that, I want to put affection slash devotion and commitment. And when somebody makes that to you to get, and I'm jumping way ahead, but when we get to that aspect of not feeling, not get to, we're kind of born that way, not feeling like enough. And then somebody comes along with that magic feeling of love and they boom, we get Filled up, I mean that's how I viewed love, and and as you mm. talk about so well in the book, that's how we depict it. That's the Disney movies. That's that's whatnot, and then the pressure that puts on that person mm. is a is a death sentence. So they by their their by proxy they are going to fail, and you're back. You're saying. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but you know, love has to come from ourselves in and of ourselves to begin with at least. So again, back to that, what is love? I felt like it was a great call out for us to step back and go, how, what is love? And what do you think of love being? And you do a good job of of showcasing that, man, socially, we've done a pretty poor job and we're showcasing that in our poor relationships.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, going back to the, to the idea of going easy on ourselves is like, again, we've all been conditioned yeah. and socialized to believe certain things. And I think the most authentic thing that we all have kind of out the box is that thirst and desire to, to realize love. Um, even if our, you know, different cultures and societies have defined love in ways that may not be the most accurate. And especially when we live in a, in a culture of like, buy stuff be happy yeah you know it's definitely the the concept and ideas of love are going to be framed in such a way where it feels like it's a package that you can almost hand to somebody or it's a transaction um and when you start to realize it's like okay well i can be in a quote-unquote loving relationship and still feel some level of void and why is that i have all the attention i have all the affection i have all the validation all the control all the power and like oh well these aren't these aren't love you know these these are these are facsimiles, or they're they're as, you know they 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 may, you know fill our bellies temporarily the same way going to your favorite fast food restaurant does, but they lack nutrition. Yeah, they lack the actual nutrition that are that that we require from yeah. from a perspective of love. And I think being able to just differentiate what is love versus what what we think it is or what we've been taught it is will save us endless amounts of energy because we spend so much time in pursuit of this and i think that for me was very important because i kept thinking a lot of the things i was chasing um you know was love and i was like well if it actually was i wouldn't be chasing as hard and i wouldn't feel as depleted as i do after the fact and um you know then you start to realize that love isn't something that you can chase you know it's something that's always there something you tap into or something you realize and The analogy I like to use is love is the breeze. The work that we're doing is to open our sails. You know, we don't have to do anything to get the love. We just have to realize the love or, you know, make ourselves available to the love that's always been there. And, um, you know, the, 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 the idea that, you know, instead of simply loving a person, looking at somebody as a place that you find love. You show me where love is. You know, and then that allows you to create a pathway of love between you and anyone and anything. A favorite flavor of ice cream, a a type of art, favorite activity, you know, establishing a pathway of love between yourself and that, um, you know, will allow you to tap into more sources of love um, and make you a lot less dependent on a single source. You talking
0: about that with food, which is a primary focal point uh, of me is health and wellness. And we talk about Mm -hmm. that so much that here in America, as you and I both sit different states, but and we're so overfed and undernourished. And to think about that with love, man, it's the thing that we pursue. It's the thing that the culture or the media is most full of is relational stuff. And we are it seems to be ever more lonely and disconnected than ever so the same thing overfed and undernourished with love and what you just talked about i talked about as far as finding and earning i mean i pulled it out of your book the quote or the uh, the definition by robert holden phd destination addiction Mm. Uh, and that that we look at love is something i'm going to either go find as a destination, destination or I'm going to earn it as an achievement as opposed to just something that I, as you talked about, it's just there like the wind and I realize. It's just, we. again, I don't think we have a file for that. It's like a different language. You're asking us to speak German and people don't. Look, love is, name a song that doesn't talk about love, looking for love in all the wrong places. I mean, that's just what we have the tenets of relationship on. And so for you to say, we just got to realize it, pull that down some more. Dissect that some more because I, I it feels like a different language.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, again, like this destination of addiction has us always believing that there's like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. You know, not realizing that the rainbow is the pot of gold. The journey is the pot of gold. What I, you know, finishing the book Isn't the accomplishment writing the book? Is the accomplishment Um, who I became through the process of creating this book? Is is what actually matters? The progress, you know, there is no perfect, and I think you know we have this linear, you know, beginning, middle, and end mindset, and that the end is somehow has us living happily ever after. But that's not how life works. Life life works in circles. Life works in cycles. You know, we have new years. We have new seasons. We have all of these new things. And when we have this idea that love is something you have to earn, you have to trade, you have to be worthy of, you have to be enough for, you start to realize that this starts to pull us even further away from love because we start to think that we have to qualify for love. And again, we all have stories of people that we love deeply and we know all their imperfections Hmm. and none of their imperfections disqualify them from our love. And we also have, you know, your father of nine, your first interaction with your children filled you with love you know it didn 't require anything other than them existing and the The love that you know you the service that you provided for them wasn 't a you know it wasn 't a two way street for an extremely long time It may not be for a very long time you know as you know as my sister always says to me, look, you know, from zero to 18, your kids are going to poop on you in some capacity. And, you know, your job is to keep them alive. Love them and keep them alive. And it's it's, it's that interesting idea of, like, again, yeah, like it doesn't have to be transactional. You can pour all the love you want into someone else and not need it in return. Because what's happening is you're realizing love through your interactions with them. So I think viewing love as this prize, viewing it as this destination is where you know, we, we, we got it skewed. And again, I'm I'm telling people not to go hard on themselves for, for having these beliefs because these beliefs are, are put into us. You know, these beliefs are these beliefs make for great movies, you know, they make for great selling points. And and again, we live in a society where, you know, people, the lights stay on because people buy stuff and there's an economy based on all of this. And for you to buy stuff you have to feel like you're not enough without it. So, you know, yeah. we have this enoughness that we're not until we have that car or until we have those shoes or those 17 pairs of shoes or we have that, that blue check mark on our Instagram or whatever it may be and and trying to first divorce the idea that there's an enoughness when it comes to realizing love. And if anything, you don't have to add anything more to realize love. You have to take things away. You have to, you know, clean up the clutter, yeah you know, unclog-, unclog the sink, you know, as they say, and... I think that that idea I think is really important because it doesn't just apply to love it applies to everything in life focus on the journey not the destination focus on who you're becoming while you achieve, chase the goal instead of the goal itself and and that's where the growth is and I think that's a really important idea for us to understand because when we create and, and and frame love as this destination then we constantly remind ourselves that we're without while we're, we wait to hit that destination and then also we over emotionalize what we're going to achieve once we hit that destination and, and and you can see it you know a, a great example would be the wedding yeah. you know what other you know what other milestone in life do we throw a big party to begin a journey you know i don't we don't throw big parties to start high school or start college we, we get a big celebration when we're done yeah you know, we celebrate accomplishments, but you know, we've created an industry around this where it's like, hey, me and you were going to begin our lives together. Let's start by throwing a big lavish party, and let's begin our lives together in debt. You know, and it's and and versus, hey, we su- we successfully stayed together for five years to throw a party, something something to celebrate, or hey, we've been together for fifty years now let's throw a big lavish party which makes a lot more sense than throwing a party on year zero yeah. um but again there's there's a culture of we got to buy stuff we got to spend money on stuff so let and and the best way you know and because they got the money they hire the smartest people to you know sh- create stories and and, and 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 influence culture for us to do so but what we have to realize is like look the the love that we're thirsting for is always there and what we just have to do is the necessary work to realize it both within us and around us.
0: I mean, a line that you wrote in the book that hit me and you said, this means love is yeah, less, the, less of this destination and achievement and more a way to live. That's what jumped mm-hmm. out to me. A way to live. This wasn't even one of your bolded lines, you know, in the, in the book, but a way to live. And I, and I thought if I'm videotaped, Does it look like I'm living a life of love? I may Mm. be living a life of pleasure, Mm. maybe living a life of, I think for me, achievement is number one. Yeah, he's, you know, he's disciplined. He achieves. Um, There's times when I think it might look like I'm living a life of judgment, uh, being kind of irritated and pissed off. Mm. Uh, Am I living a life of, I want love. That's the thing that I want most. It's the most fulfilling. I think it's the thing that's going to give me the most purpose. If some, if I was audited, am I living a life of, it? and what does that look like? And honestly, the word judgment is what jumped into, am I looking around and am I, you know, am I judging? Am I irritated? Which I often am as the, you know, type a go getter type thing, as opposed to wait, am I stepping back? And am I, am I, am I loving? Am, am I sitting mm. in gratitude? Do I look around and notice the beauty? And mm. do, do I have respect for what's around me? Are there sacred things? Who, who am I being? So, again, back to your thing, it's more a way to live. If we want love, does our lifestyle, does our attitude, our spirit, is it loving? And that's, yeah. a, bit, that's a big call out.
1: It, it is. I think, again, we, especially you know, in North America, heavily focus on our quality of life. Um, and we look at that as external. When I yeah. personally believe we should focus on our quality of living you know how are we living what what verbs are we what are we using on a regular basis and quality of living you know should be irrespective of quality of life you know hmm. um hmm. your tax That's bracket good. doesn't yeah your your tax bracket doesn't require you to create a commitment to gratitude you know um i've been learning a little bit more about habit stacking so one of the habits that i have now is uh always express authentic gratitude while I tie my shoelaces, so I have to tie my shoelaces regularly yeah. when I'm in that process instantly gratitude that's a gratitude mm. moment five seconds, ten seconds always gratitude that shouldn't matter if I got ten million in the bank or if I'm struggling to pay my bills you know the the quality of living expressing gratitude has to always be there, and I think again, love. When we start to look at love less as this prize and this thing, instead of looking at love as the noun, looking at love as the verb, love as service, love as an action. And this this again, you know, there's, there's a chapter in the book called What's in Your Wallet? And this was, you know, me learning about deriving value from what I hold in my wallet. And originally it was my identity through other people. You know, yeah. if I had a, if I had a beautiful woman and then, or if I had certain status or if I was known for certain things, all of that can get taken away. So I started to look at, well, what can I put in my wallet that nobody can ever take away from me? And I could only forfeit. And that all became quality of living. It became my ability to tell the truth, my ability to help others, you know, my ability to love. You know, these aren't things that anybody could ever take away from me. I could only forfeit these myself. And so often we do. The most valuable things about us, we often forfeit uh, in the name of chasing things externally. So, you know, I'd, I'd really heavily encourage people to focus on their quality of living instead of simply their quality of life.
0: Well, yeah, back to that lifestyle. And I love analogies. And you got me to thinking, on this, if love is what I most want, do what is my capacity? What is my mm. ability to love? I, I, so I thought about a marathon. Imagine going around, going, man, I wish I could find a marathon, like I wish I could find love. And you go around walking around, and boom, son of a gun, there's a marathon, and you jump in that thing. Well, if you haven't been running, you're going to die. Uh, you're, you're not going to finish. You're going to get injured. And yet we look at that with love. Am I? As you talked about, am I? Am I preparing? Am I practicing love so that I can what receive it, even uh, be aware of it, give it?
1: All yeah, three? I mean, I th- I think the realizing, you know, I, I I always say realizing love or experiencing love, you know, because I don't think it needs to be received. Um, I think the moment you give it, you experience it, yeah. you know, as I said, and, and using using the, the framework of of you being a father, yeah. as I said, you know, you're, you're changing your, your little one's diapers. You're not really getting much in return other yeah. than the joy of the service. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it's like when we focus on what's in our control and what we're able to give. And also, you know, as I said, like th- these ideas of, you know, we often say, OK, well, this isn't perfect. And somehow it not being perfect um, disqualifies us from realizing love for some purpose. But it doesn't, you know, and that's part of the subtitle as well, embracing imperfections. The only thing we need to focus on is progress, you know. And as you said, like you can't run a marathon the first day. You can try and you'll probably end up getting hurt. Yeah. But, you know, if if it's a 5K, you know, maybe we'll start with a quarter K and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we, you do that. And then the next day or the next month. You focus on a half K and you slowly make your way up. And I think that in itself, um, that progress is something that everybody can focus on. And, you know, as we, we, we're, we're in the new year now, yeah. um, it's that same idea that, you know, setting a New Year's resolution is often counter counterproductive to self-love. Because what you're doing is you're setting this marker like, oh, I need to lose 10 pounds. And now you're like, well, I haven't lost the 10 pounds yet, so now I'm not worthy of, of my own Adoration and love. And then once I lose that 10 pounds, everything is going to be great. But really, you're going to hit the goal if you hit the goal, even though 80% of all New Year's resolutions aren't met within the first month. You can hit the goal and be like, now what's next, you know, versus saying, hey, I'm going to set an intention and, and not, you know, setting intentions over goals or expectations is much more sustainable, much healthier and a lifelong. You know, I want to eat healthier and I'm going to start by changing one element of my breakfast uh, this week and then maybe I'll change another element of my breakfast and maybe I'll uh, move away from the coffee first thing in the morning and start with a glass of water and then we'll try that out for a week and then maybe I'll go away from the fried egg and try a boiled egg. And then maybe another week, I'll, I'll get away from the eggs and start focusing on some, I don't know, s- s- steel-cut oats. So I don't want to dive into this beyond my expertise. I don't even know what's healthy. But I think making that incre- those incremental intentions and changes is, is a lot healthier. Uh And the same thing in the relationship. Instead of being like, this is who I need you to be, say, hey, I want us to be in a situation where we can work towards exclusivity we can work towards monogamy we can work towards complete open honest communication and it may not happen overnight but i want to head in that direction and i want to celebrate our progress and i think that is really important so we don't trip up and fall and it's like hey you have to crawl before you can walk before you can run and i think you know very often the most important skills that we've all learned as humans um For example, reading, you know, it was it was taught to us by other adults in a very systematic way, you know, to to be able to read, let's say to be able to read Harry Potter, you know, you probably have to be, you know, I'm going to say maybe a sixth grade reading level or something. That's that's about seven years worth of schooling. To get you there. That's like, let's start with the letters of the alphabet. Let's start with the sounds of the alphabet. Let's start with the two letter words. Let's do the three letter words. And they slowly, incrementally get you where you can read, a, you know, a junior novel. Um, and then you keep going until you can get to the university textbooks. But then as adults, when we're going to start something new, we're like, oh, I suck at it. I'm not going to bother. Right. You know, it, this wasn't perfect the first time I tried it. And it's like, yeah, you're not perfect at it or you're not even good at it yet. And again, that doesn't disqualify you from going on this journey. It's the journey's all that matters. there isn't a destination for this you know you're you know you have a, a a very successful podcast it it didn't happen episode one it happened incrementally slowly over time, and I'm sure there were peaks and valleys on that journey and I think going in with that awareness of like you know oftentimes my successes and failures all literally depend on how I frame it yeah. if I said I wanted to. You know avoid soda and uh this and, and 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 this and then today i had a, a can of coke and i if i frame the day then the day was a failure but if i frame the week and i had a can of coke one out of seven days that's not too bad and if i frame the month i had it one out of 30 days that's not too bad if i frame it out of the you know and i think the, those frames matter as well um our perception of how we look at things and that goes back to the idea of judgment. The, the challenge with being so judgmental and us growing up with so many judgmental individuals who raised us um, is that it closes us off. It gives us this kind of tunnel vision of what we should be looking at. Whereas if we focus on being curious, you know, we have a much wider view of what's happening and we can start to seek out beauty and positivity and optimism in any situation. Well, you
0: speaking on judgment.
1: I so want to get off
0: the soap soapbox, not the soapbox, but off the rail of, you know, dissing our current culture. Uh, it doesn't help anything. And yet because of social media, because of this wonderful thing that we have that you and I are talking through right now, the internet, which I'm, I'm hugely grateful for. And it allows us to communicate more prolifically than ever. And we mm-hmm. have a culture. We have social media I don't know what the stats are on how much of it is judgmental content, but it's dramatic. Yeah. And that that washes over us, that permeates everything kind of like, uh, uh, you know, fertilizers. It, you just, they're in everything at this point. There's nothing mm-hmm. in America, at least that doesn't have fertilizer in it. somewhere. We, we have judgment that's washed over and it feels like, and getting to the second part of your book on where do we start with love? It's not going out and looking for it. It's not searching for it. It's not achieving it. it. It's it's realizing it. And the first person we got to realize that with is us. Again, we do mm-hmm. not have a language with that. I grew up in America, and I was not I wasn't taught that that is an actual focal point. That's the first achievement. Can I achieve that? Can mm-hmm. I can I realize that? And I tend to be. I tend to be, and it feels like culturally we are the most judgmental day one with ourselves. And how can I? Have grace, compassion, love for someone else if I don't have it there. I mean, this is not new stuff, and yet we seem to be failing with it. It's kind of it's kinda like health and wellness, back to that. We know more than ever we have access to anything we want, and we're sicker and sadder than we've ever been. Yeah. And here we are. So love for self being such a pithy, overstated thing so much, and, and we're but we're not doing it well. It's is there any greater focal point at this point?
1: Yeah, I don't think there is, and and I think it's also you know and and I, and I do appreciate the sentiment of like not just you know criticizing modern society. I think the way I always like looking at it is like, you know, there's you know I'm I'm a writer and there's this, there's a writing book called you know Three Uses of the Knife, and it's like you know you can use the you know use the knife to cut somebody a sandwich, you can use the knife to you know free a prisoner, you can use the knife to stab somebody in the back, and I kind of look at you know I, I like the 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 analogy I like using for social media specifically is a hammer. Like, you know, you can build a house with it or bash a skull. Yeah. And I think the awareness of knowing what it is, uh, I think is extremely important. And the fact that, you know, it is, it, it is preying on some of our more primitive, you know, designs. And um, often that is, is really pulling on our emotional heartstrings. And the thing is, good news is often gradual. So, you know, good news is really hard to elicit positive, uh, positive emotions um, through creating, you know, through exposing people to good news because good news takes time. Like, hey, everybody, I finally hit my milestone of 100,000 followers or I lost 25 pounds or, you know, we, you know, we we went into remission or what have you. Um, Whereas, like, hey, everybody, I broke my leg. You know, hey, everybody, so-and-so said I isolated one comment that so-and-so said that, you know, offends my specific community that I identify with. And all of this, you know, especially when we as humans for so long in small environments and small communities uh, understood our value in relation to other people, that's really become exploited to the fact that, you know, we've become extremely validation hungry. Yeah. And, you know, now there's metrics to the validation. It's just like, how many downloads did this episode get? How many comments did that post get? How many likes did that picture get? And now there's an exact metric. And then that can, if we're not approaching it with awareness, will subconsciously guide us in a certain different direction. And I think it's just something to be mindful of, um, especially when this chase for validation is going to, you know, shrink pathways to to love that's going to close those sales and and the breeze is just going to pass us on by um so i think for me it's it's less of of a of a of a critique of what modern society is and more of a you know painting painting a picture for more context to realize well here are the things that are actually helping and here are the things that are actually hurting the same way i'm you know looking at different elements of my diet and be like oh well Okay, that right. may be good first thing in the morning, but that's definitely not something I should be drinking or eating at 10 p.m. Or hey, that's something good in moderation, um, or that's something that needs to happen every single day. And I think understanding elements of our society and realizing that hey, like our us as a collective have kind of um, ag- agreed to create, you know, a, a, a population of densely populated cities that require everyone to participate in an economy. And one of the biggest ways we get people to participate in an economy is to tell them stories about who they'll be if they purchase more things. And oftentimes those stories are emotionally charged and they leave us feeling like we are in lack until we participate and make this certain purchase. And I think that's a really important idea to explore because there are communities in the world that don't participate in that type of living um, and uh, they seem dramatically better off.
0: There seems to be, well, I think there is such a tension in that, can I be whole in and of myself? And yet, as you also state, you know, we, we're built for relationship. We are built to, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be whole I don't want to wake up tomorrow morning. and There's nobody on the planet. What on Mm. earth would I live for? Uh, There's no purpose. There's no meaning whatnot. And so I got to hold that, that I, I want to be desperately in relationship. I want to have love. And yet I also need to be complete to a degree, wrestle with that with me in and of myself. And you say, one of the quotes I pulled out, the inconvenient truth is that no one can give us any more love than we can give ourselves
1: mm-hmm
0: it's a it's a big statement it's worth folks rewinding uh and listen to that but to be able to hold that i keep using that same reference but i just feel it's relevant it's like another language we don't really have a file for that as a counselor told me one time that i can't no one can give me i can't go out there and find from a person from you from my wife from my kid from my friend what i can't find something from them more than what i can give myself and when I do that's the recipe again for failure and so here we are how do we hold that of I've got to be whole I'm made for relationship but I got to be whole in and of myself
1: yeah and again this goes back to these ideas of enoughness and it's yeah. like how how are these measurements Like how did this become measurements of a human how you can't measure a human as enough or not enough or even whole I'm a whole person versus not a whole person it's like you know, we, we. I think both from a spiritual and a, and a scientific perspective, we kind of understand everything. Is, it starts with this. Starts with the brain. You know, I can cut off your fingers. I can cut off your toes. I can cut off your ear. You're still you. Yeah. You know, and and, and none of these even disqualify you from being a whole person. You know, right. and missing an appendage here or there. Um, and I think what we have. You know, we're we're also biological creatures that have, you know, needs and wants and desires that Mother Nature kind of uses to get us to do her bidding, which is, it seems at this point, eating, sleeping and procreating, you know, and then everything else beyond that is kind of how we deviated from the script and, and created something a, a much bigger than the ecosystem that we're a part of with all of the living things. And, and you can see that because whenever you want to do something that isn't eating, sleeping or procreating, you, you get resistance. You're like, Oh, I'm going to go for a run today. And the mother nature is like, no, you're not. This is not why you're here. Yeah. You're here to eat, sleep and procreate. And then when you hit a certain age, uh, and, and you're past the level of procreating, it almost kind of seems like you've, you've been tossed to the side and the knees start to hurt, you know, the eyesight starts to go, you know, and there's, there's a really, you know, we're, we're part of a system that is, uh, Far from perfect, but extremely predictable. And I think, again, this idea of wholeness. I, I receive, I feel whole with you. And I think what that goes back to is especially this, you know, in our childhood, it's when, we're, when we don't have fully developed brains, us, you know, trying to process being raised by imperfect people. Everybody was raised by imperfect people, but we internalized everything we experienced from them. If you're 12 years old, your brain can only think in black and white. You can't you can't process all the complexities of what happens in between. And easily, you know, you're, uh, a family member could be having a bad day, and they take it out on you, and, and you absorb all of that like it's your fault, and then you start to blame yourself, and, and you don't upgrade that 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 software even even as an adult and whatever coping mechanisms you do. So then we kind of become people pleasers yeah. or fauners. And, and, and we make adjustments to our authentic self to try to keep everybody else happy. And oftentimes it's not even keeping them happy. It's just keeping them from being, it's keeping us from feeling their wrath.
0: I was going to say, it's appeasing.
1: Yeah. It's appeasing. Yeah. And it's, And it's a challenge because we have this, and then when we, the feelings of, you know, kind of euphoria we get when we feel seen by somebody, when we feel validated by somebody, I think that is this illusion of wholeness that we think that, oh, I was missing this. I never had this before and now I have it. But it's like, yeah, you know, shoot some heroin. You're going to start feeling some stuff you've never felt before. That doesn't, that's not giving you a wholeness. That is giving you some short-term gratification. And again, this stuff is short-term because if you had it, you know, if you got it once, you wouldn't need it again if it was if it was long term and healthy. And I think from that standpoint, going back to how we frame these things, and as well, as I said, like we the healthiest relationships aren't gonna make it on the TV and movie screen because they're they're not gonna be eventful. You know, we're going we're gonna be constantly exposed to unhealthy cat and mouth type relationships. Tug- war relationships because they make for excellent watching they're they're car crashes that that we're going to be rubbernecking and i think it's important to recognize that so we we can't want the ross and rachels or the bobby and whitney's or whatever new you know bad relationship people look up to it's you know we require you know we should be chasing peace you know instead of chasing wholeness let's chase peace and when we think about how we feel around people. Let's ask how often we feel at peace. But also, is that feeling at peace? Are they, are they quelling our anxiety or our, you know, our attachment issues and we just feel good around them? And how often is that the case? Yeah. Or are they just creating a new addiction that we, we, we don't feel at peace when we're not around them and they, they bring us back to zero when, when we have them. And again, the, the, the overarching idea here is just going to be awareness and paying attention to how we feel in certain search- situations. And all of that can be accomplished by ourselves because spending time alone, you know, when you're when you're by yourself, the feelings can go in two different directions. You can either feel the reward of solitude or you can feel the punishment of loneliness. But neither of those change the fact that you're alone. Yeah. And us re- visiting and reevaluating our relationship with ourselves is where it starts um naval ravikant who i i quoted in the book for his definition of love you know he also said something i thought was extremely poignant um he said you know if your favorite time of life is when you're absolutely by yourself he goes then you win he goes you'll win at life just when your favorite part of the day is you know, and and he's a married man with children. He goes, I love my family, love my kids. My absolute favorite time is doing absolutely nothing with myself. And as I said, I you know, without it being a commentary on modern society, oftentimes people think being in front of their phone counts as alone time. Yeah, you know, and and the dopamine that they get from that, and it's like no, it's sit by yourself and do absolutely nothing. I'm not even saying meditate and focus on you. I'm just sit there, do nothing, watch the anxiety raise immediately because we're not being stimulated and see how often your choices are just to make that anxiety to quell that anxiety you know we're not even chasing pleasure to feel good we're chasing pleasure to not feel bad and i think if we re-regulate our our dopamine levels and the things that give us dopamine i have a friend who just got out of a physically abusive relationship and Her levels of awareness now that she's out of it are are becoming more and more clear. And she's like, I didn't love him. I was just, he was just my only source of dopamine, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I got all my dopamine from him. And when I wasn't around him, I put on a baseball cap and wear, wear sweats and I stopped talking to my friends and I stopped talking to other people. And I lived in a hole until, and if he didn't reply to my messages, I got deep in depression. And then when I heard from him, I felt great and now she's able to look at that from the outside but it just it goes back to just dopamine and serotonin and getting a quick fix and i think now the the beauty of this is that we can all relate to that because the vast majority of our population are addicted to their phones and it's that same relationship where it's like you're scrolling through the vast majority of the stuff does not make you feel good yeah. but then you know, there's an unintended reward when you finally see a cute video of puppies or a feel-good video of somebody helping a homeless person. And you're like, oh, it was all worth it. It was that whole hour worth of scrolling. It was worth it for that five-second video that made me feel really nice. And that's, what, that's why people gamble. And they yeah. keep pulling on the lever for the, for, the, for the slot machine or why people remain in unhealthy relationships. Because when it's bad, it's bad. But when it's good, it's a, it feels euphoric. And it's not anticipated, and um, getting ourselves out of this cycle of chasing unintended rewards that give us these temporary highs because we're just going to spend the rest of our lives chasing them.
0: You say in the book right along this line, al- alone. Uh, it's not because you're by yourself, but because you don't enjoy your own company. Mm-hmm. I, again, it's a different it's a different language and. You know, even you talking about the phone, I have gotten into the habit over, over the years of getaways by myself, but there was another level even because I would initially go on those getaways. And for me, that's going off into the mountains and, you know, having adventures and doing some of the things that I love. And most of the time I'm sitting there taking pictures or videos and sending them back to my family and I'm texting and going back and forth. So I had to go, I had to go to the next level. And I just did this. I literally just did this two days ago. I was gone for 48 hours. I did some stuff. And my practice was not. Don't share. Just put the phone on silent mode or what is it? Do not disturb. And sit there and do my mountain bike ride out at a remote lake and sit down afterwards with a hard cider and the sunset. I did take a picture, but I didn't share it. It was just for mm-hmm. me. Can, can I mm-hmm. Can I? rewire myself to get that dopamine and just to have the fulfillment and the gratitude if nobody else knows? And it's it surprises me how natural it is to want to share that, which is, again, that's great. I mean, you know that, Humble. I mean, it's, of course we want to share things with somebody. I don't want to, again, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and then live the next year al- alone with no connection to somebody. And yet this practice over here of can I enjoy my own company. Can I be at peace, as you said, at peace. And and maybe the word whole is not a good one. As opposed, Mm -hmm. can I be fulfilled? Can I have a a moment of glorious fulfillment just by myself? If I can't, how much more so am I going to now be able to go into relationship with somebody else and share that fulfillment, share that peace, pour out, Something that I have within me, as opposed to grasping and taking from them. Which again, I think that's how I lived most of my life. Like I said, of course, the, the other part of that is not only did I use myself as a tool. If that's how I'm using myself, if that's how I'm viewing myself. That's kind of what I tended to do with other people. There's tools mm-hmm. for achievement. So again, we're back to this. Is, is that, does that ring true? The fulfillment word that is better than that whole word to be at peace to find fulfillment in and of yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I want to challenge the f- fulfillment uh, word, too, dude, because it, it, all, cause it also, it, it kind of, you know, like the word full kind of, you know, yeah. it, it indicates, like, it's the opposite of lack, like, it's, you know, you, okay. either you're full or you're not, and I think, I think the better way to look at it, you know, so, for example, you know, we, we all know you turned 52 today, so you had a pre-internet childhood. Yes. You know, and you were able to do all these activities before the option of or, and the culture of take a picture and share it was. You know, I remember I learned about Instagram because one of my favorite rappers got on it very early. And he posted this picture of himself in Dubai. And it was the first time I saw a picture, like, with a filter, hmm. you know. And I was like, oh, that's that's a really nice picture. How do you do that? You know, and I just remember him just being like, in Dubai. And I was just like, you know, he was he, I guess he was one of the early guys on there but there was a time before all of this and and one of my closest friends he's my oldest friend i've known him since we were 4 years old he went through a dark period um in the past maybe 10 12 years um uh, addicted to substances addicted addicted to alcohol uh addicted to porn addicted to a lot of different things um he was he, he's living he lives in germany and um because he was in this dark period you know probably i want to say 10 years ago um he never upgraded his phone so he had a flip phone he never upgraded his phone and then he got sober he's been sober now i think i think this i think this month will be his 7th year sober from alcohol and maybe his 8th year sober or 5th year sober from porn um he never got on to the smartphone culture he just because of where he was in life and then even though he got sober i think he bought an ipad to watch sports, he 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 he's from he's from Toronto like me, so I think to catch up on sports, he bought an iPad. But he never got on Instagram, he never got on Facebook, he never got on any of those things. Um, and he's the most at peace individual I know. His uh, you know, a lot of things he didn't upgrade. In his life. He never bought a car he takes the bus everywhere hanging out with him reminds me of our high school days hmm. you know he he i went to go see him in berlin he picked me up from the airport his definition of picking me up from the airport was taking the bus to the airport <laughs> and meeting me there and then helping me get my suitcase on the bus yeah. while we went back to his place but i realized very quickly just through observing him that nothing he does is for display purposes there isn't an external validation in any of his daily choices and he he spends you know he spends a month out of the year uh traveling to different parts of Europe and working on farms, migrant farms, because he's he's developed an obsession with seeds and and and, 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 and uh um the science of, of farming and but he's not doing it to take a picture and show anybody. There aren't any pictures. He's he's never he never got into the culture. So it's not like he rejected it and he, and he lives off this discipline. He just never got introduced to it. And I showed him my phone and I've showed him Instagram and I can see his eyes get wide. It's like giving a kid who's never had a potato chip a potato chip. Sure, sure. You know, he's not, he's not immune to it. He just never doesn't have any in his kitchen. And, um, so, you know, and, and the reason I bring him up is because the word that I see with him specifically uh, is peace. It's not fulfillment. It's peace. Mm. Um, his relationship with substances changed. He never viewed them as as vices. Um, he he grew up without his father. Reconnected with his father much later in life, and learned about his family history and 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 the cycle of substance abuse. So he views substances as allergies. So he views alcohol as an allergy. So he stays away from alcohol not through discipline but as an allergy. Um, and I think porn was probably the most supernormal stuff that he had exposure to. And and I I guess he put it up there as well and, and he's gotten off that. So he's not exposing himself to all this supernormal, uh, hyper colors and all of these things that, you know, we're not biologically really designed to do. And because of that, he he maintains this level of kind of like his his levels are even. And it's not sharp spikes up and down. Right. So I think instead of fulfillment, I, I like this word peace, uh, because peace doesn't require anything you don't have to acquire anything for peace you have to let go of things you know he achieves his peace to letting go of stuff he didn't have to check off boxes he had to kind of delete things off the list hmm. and um and the reason i i bring him up and and take it back to, to you know for example your child even mine my childhood i, I grew up in the 80s and, and the 90s pre-internet um we knew how to do it <laughs> Yeah. You know, we knew how to have fun. We knew how to be places. We knew how to communicate. We knew how to make plans. We knew how to find our friends. We knew how to do all of these things without these modern conveniences. And um you know, we you know, whether we can go back or not is, is, is a whole other conversation. But I think what it often is 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 recognizing that there's gonna be you know, to go from a bad place to a better place. Uh, the journey has to be through a worse place. And I think, you know, as we go out to the country, sit by the lake, you know, there's going to be a dopamine withdrawal and there's going to be a little bit of anxiety and we're going to naturally pick up the phone and start taking pictures or doing whatever we had to do. But I think if we do it long enough, you know, we, you know, I think the, I think the rewiring, and I think I, I, I watch it, especially specifically around, you know, uh, social media, I, I think it's 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 in the weeks. It might even be up to four months before that, you know, the rewiring for for, for dopamine receptors actually happens. Um, but don't quote me on the science, but, it, you know, it's not a couple of days. And one of my favorite rappers, Jay Cole, um, went two years without social media. And in, be- in between his releases, he doesn't go on social media. And he said after two years, he thought he was going to go back. So he was going back to start promoting his next project. He thought he was going to go back with this new level of awareness, this new level of everything. He was within three days. It was as if he never left. You know, it was just an old friend and everything felt normal again. His habits were all the same. He, was, he caught himself mindlessly scrolling and he goes, the two years did nothing. And I think, again, on this on this spirit of being easier on yourself, like these are companies that make ungodly amounts of money and they use those ungodly amounts of money to hire the smartest people who dedicate all their time and focus to figuring out how to keep you on. Yeah you know it's a it's a it's not a battle that self-discipline alone is gonna get us over but i do think framing it as peace versus fulfillment um it's probably a better way to look at it because now we're not looking at it from i I lack anything because you can't buy peace you can't get peace you can only clear away the clutter and what's left is peace you know um and going back to the Naval Ravikant definition of love that I have in the book is, you know, love is what remains when all all other emotions cease to exist. And I think that having love as the default and, and, and focusing on clearing the clutter versus acquiring some new thing, acquiring a new partner, acquiring a level of Zen through yeah. meditation, acquiring, yeah, it's not about getting. And again, as I said, we live in a society of buy stuff, be happy, get, 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 get. It's looking at it the other way. And again, I'm... I'm from, I grew up in Eastern philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, you you know, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they're all top down. The rules came from above. Let's bring them down to where we're at. I'm from Eastern philosophy where it's everything is within and let's use that to raise ourselves up. And um, that's, that's, I think what makes a different language is realize that you've always had it. It's always been within you. All this stuff on the outside is just, is blocking the past. It's blocking the pathways. And uh, less is more when it comes to that capacity. And it's not so much about acquiring new skills and tools as it is, is letting go of old habits, yeah. beliefs, uh, and, and limiting lifestyles um, that reduce our ability to kind of realize that love that's always been there. you talking about addiction.
0: Yeah, the cultural one we have now, too, back to your friend, to yeah. the display, to the validation. And one of your other lines, and your book is, is maybe one of the most quotable books I've read, and I've read a lot. Uh, you do such a great job of pulling out these sound bites. It makes sense that you are, uh, uh, you know, you're an artist and, uh, of the spoken word. You say, approval from others will never be as nutritious as our approval of ourselves Okay, that, that's a line there. I'm going to keep going. But that right there, approval from others will never be as nutritious as our approval of ourselves. Again, that is a different language. I want everybody to hear that and to realize that that's going to be hard to resonate because we don't speak that language. Well, we know is finding that external validation. And uh, so, but you go on to say, that's why self-respect is more important than self-esteem. No. i 'm going to let you unpack that because that's uh, i don 't want to get lost in in the words we talk about self image a lot but self respect
1: no. now you 're taking that
0: and you 're separating it say self respect is more important than self esteem what do you mean by that
1: so self respect is how you feel about yourself you know self esteem is the value you gain from how other people feel about you and as i said we 're in a culture where our self esteem has become there's a numerical value to it, how many followers we have, how many right. comments we get, how many likes we get. Um, and the more self-esteem we chase, you know, the less self-respect we'll have. It, it, you know, I, I'm not the most, I'm not the biggest fan of, of, of looking at things in terms of duality and, and binary. Um, but it seems like this is that relationship where it's almost like you pick one on the scales. So either you feed the self-respect um, or you feed the self-esteem. Yeah. Um and self-respect is how you view yourself. And, and we all know, we've seen it externally, people who, it seems like the whole world loves them. They have everything they would ever want, right. but they still seem to be missing something on the inside. And that what they're missing is that self-respect. Um, so what I realize is, and, and you know, in, in that chapter you're quoting, it's, 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 it's me confessing my addiction to approval.
0: Yeah.
1: And how much I uh, have realized that I'm addicted to everybody else's approval and um, how dangerous compliments have become to me realizing that compliments are way more dangerous to me than 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 criticisms um Hmm. because they put me in a cage you know most recently um i want to say about a year and a half ago you know a friend i'm at a hollywood party with a lot of prominent celebrities and a friend introduces me to somebody i looked up to and said hey this is my friend humble um he's figured out life nothing ever bothers him (laughs) and that's how i was introduced and i'm assuming the person that good luck living
0: up to that one
1: good luck living up to that but then you try and then you tell yourself well well Mm -hmm. they said nothing bothers me so now nothing can bother me so now Mm -hmm. like my mantra has to be like oh no worries no worries no worries but it's like that's that how could i be an artist and not have sensitivities you know i just you know, peeled off so many layers and fortresses and protective elements to myself to write this book. I am the exact opposite. Everything is getting to me. A beautiful sunny day is getting to me. You know, somebody who makes a plan and breaks that plan when he gets to me. But now that I was, I've was, i been framed by the cool kids as someone that nothing bothers him, I'm going to create this prison and act like it until I snap, which is exactly what happened at, you know, and that started my journey uh, into therapy where I was like, wait, no, I am a sensitive human being and starting to realize that it was also a protective mechanism for vulnerability where it's like, Oh, I don't, I didn't, I you know, I was raised in a household where vulnerability was seen as weakness. So don't show any vulnerability. Um, But what that does is that that doesn't allow me to have any authentic connections with people. And um, then, you know, creating a reputation which just serves as a prison. And now I'm both the prisoner and the prison guard. And, and this was something that I, you know, would do because the validation I got from people thinking I'm the coolest kid, you know, in the room, just because I was the one guy who wasn't bothered by a mean comment on, on the, on, on the internet or something, not realizing that no, I should be impacted by everything because I'm an artist. I should be absorbing everything and feeling everything, but doing it in a safe space. So I think. What I started to realize was, okay, my external validation is is always going to be a thing until I start focusing on internal validation and and asking myself, well, how do I build my self-respect and, you know, keep, you know, another chapter in the book from, you know, a quote from my my, my buddy Steve Weatherford, which was, you know, honor your commitments, not your feelings, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, you say you're going to do something, do it because you said you're going to do it. You know, because very often, especially, you know, Los Angeles culture, is everybody gets their dopamine shot from saying, we should meet up. And then when it's time to meet up, everybody cancels because they realize traffic and distance and all that type of stuff. And it's like, no, you said you're going to do something. Do it because you said you're going to do it. And that's how you maintain self-respect, you know, voluntarily making difficult decisions and and, and going into that. um, and, And doing so, you know, I think is extremely important. And, you know, there's. You know, from a pop culture reference to the television show on HBO called White Lotus. And, and, you know, there's a character, a young boy, who is given every modern convenience. He's just a young boy addicted to his phone, addicted to all his devices, you know, access to, 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 to all the different salty potato chips in life. And he feels hollow. And then he sees a group of guys canoeing, you know, canoeing in the ocean. And he joins them. Hmm. And the bonding process, the exercise, everything that comes from that, he becomes addicted to that. And then he puts the phone away and he builds an authentic connection. And I think, you know, this kind of voluntary step into things that are hard um, is a great way to build the self-respect. Understanding that we live in a culture that is further trying to make everything more convenient for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is impacting our resilience. And, and as our resilience goes down, we become more susceptible when, when, when life, throws curveballs at us. And the last two years have shown that, you know, we're better off practicing our resilience while things are good. Because, you know, a, a, a bad day, year <laughs> or two years could just be around the corner, you know, depending on what's happening in the world.
0: A, a line that you wrote also on the same thread, Humble, is... And I and I had to I had to do a double take because I started to I started to contradict you and then I wait 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 and no no he wrote it right, uh, it, it doesn't matter this is what you wrote it doesn't matter what others think about me if I don't like myself okay I, I took that though on the polarization it doesn't matter what other people think about me. I just have to like myself. And then I'm thinking about the ignorant person that I am sometimes and the ignorant person that we see. Sometimes we think, dude, the guy needs to know what other people think about him because he's an ass and, and he doesn't know. Uh, so, but you said, that's not what you said. You said, it doesn't matter what others think about me. If I don't like myself, other people's testimony. I mean, it does matter. I do need people in my life testifying to me seeing my blind spots. And of course, I love validation. But as you said, I need the criticism as well. But so you didn't discount that. But you said, if I don't like myself, and now we're back to just what you said, that consummate analogy of somebody who seemingly has all the attention, all the validation, they've got 40 million followers, humble only has a million. Uh, You know, they've only got 40. But if they don't like themselves and that 's what we see the tabloid stories of, and it 's the next divorce or big downfall or suicide. I mean how often do we see it should be so obvious to us, but we just don 't conceive of that, and so to look at that and go, my efforts to seek the validation to get the points to get the followers to get the accolades the affirmations which I, which I Kevin Miller have spent the majority of my life as that as my primary pursuit. And yet it doesn't matter. And I'm realizing that now at, I'm so glad that I have come aware of that. Uh, It would be great if it had taken a little shorter time, but Hey, at least I I got there if I don't like myself and we're back to that. And that's why you put it as primary. What is love? How do I love myself? And all that was then before the place that we put as the first point, of contact for most of us is loving others. That's the third part of your book is, is loving others then. And I'm back to thinking about the consummate classic in the self-help world of how to win friends and influence people. I mean, to some degree after I've done that, do I understand what love is? Do I love myself? Let's say I've gotten there now. What do I do? Well, again, we're back to that marathon thing. Aren't we that if I'm not practicing, do I know how to love others? Well, we're not taught Mm. that. Maybe we had a good example Often we didn't have a good example or good examples in our lives. Do I know how to do that? We're not going to go out and and start a sport or a, a career profession without a dramatic amount of training. And yet we jump into this feeling of love and we don't train. So after we've achieved those kind of first rungs, sequentially, at least, would that not be some of our greatest focal point is now, how do I learn to connect with and love others?
1: Yeah, I I, th- I think you know ad- addressing that even connects back to that that first point about you know I I um, if I don't like myself, I I think one of the, the the big ideas and and I got this from Stephen Pressfield's book The War of Art. Yeah, um you know the journey of the artist. It's it's we as humans you know in our software require other people to understand ourselves. We understand ourselves in relation. You know you have nine kids, which means you know, let's say child number three walks into the room, they they are naturally uh, aligning themselves within the hierarchy of who right. is their older sibling, who is their younger right. sibling, who has authority over them, who do they have authority over. And that's important. And we as humans have always had that. The challenge is, you know, for tens of thousands of years, we've never been in such large communities. You know, your, your kids can do it in a house of 10, 15, 20... Uh, I think Stephen Pressfield says he thinks the number's 200. He thinks anybody can understand themselves in relation to a room full of 200 people, um, especially if it's a village or a community. Um, but how do you do that in New York City? How do you do that in Los Angeles? Who's the top dog? Can there even be a hierarchy at that point? So understanding ourselves in relation to other people is really messing with our software because these societies are way bigger than what we're normally used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's important because when we chase external validation now, especially with social media, you're like the average human being was never exposed to the opinions of even a thousand people, Yeah. let alone the opinions of 10,000, 100,000, a million people. So that's definitely going to mess with our wiring. So it's even more important for us to have, to to be more grounded in how we care for ourselves, and it's the same thing when it comes to these relationships. As I said, like it's, you know, we are one to two hundred years, you know, in these larger societies, and you know, but we're still trying to create relationships that were based off templates that have existed much longer. And again, those templates existed in much smaller communities uh, under much dramatically different circumstances. You know, you live in a small village of 200 people, a hundred people and you're married, but you know, your, your partner isn't your exclusive partner for every single thing in life. You probably go out to work with other people. You probably go be social with other people. But now we live in a society where it's like, it's you and your partner, until you have kids in your little shelf in your little apartment on your little building row by row in a, in a major you know metropolitan city which is how a lot of people live and more and more people are living every single day around yeah. the world and that is not how we've been doing it for the last i don't know 30 40, years of civilized human society and that adjustment is going to be very difficult and challenging and you know I do make references to you know grandma and grandpa's the romanticism that we have of grandma and grandpa's relationship but you know they saw each other for 3 hours a day you know we're we're in situations where you're constantly updating your partner about what's happening you're constantly exposed to the illusion of other options you know we're yeah. constantly exposed to to all of these other different things which leaves us depleted when we're not um you know, when when we're not completely energized, and also as you said, even if we had great role models growing up, you know, we were observing them and absorbing them with limited brain capacity. You know, the brain's developing until we're 26, so imagine being eight nine years old. Even having, let's say, the most, you know, both intellectually and emotionally intelligent parents on earth trying to understand why they were successful at that age you know is is going to be next to impossible we don't know what they're doing behind closed doors we don't know the meetings they're having we don't know the communication they're doing maybe they're in couples therapy we have no idea what's happening in that capacity and i think that's a really important thing to really acknowledge as well is that even when things are good we don't know why they're good if we're, if we're absorbing that and understanding that from a perspective of a child then making decisions and then creating habits that we just carry on into adulthood. So our, you know, th- that's why using the relationship with ourselves as the primer to, to influence relationship with other people. And, and that's why relationship with others is, is the last section and, and, in one of the smaller sections of the book, because it's once you have that healthier relationship with yourself. You're able to establish boundaries. You understand the importance of communication. Yeah. All of these will have a wonderful and positive impact on your ability to to coexist with other people. And again, I don't simply say love for others romantically. I talk about right. family relationships, whether it's siblings, whether it's grandparents. I talk about work relationships. I talk about friendships. Um, because to me, they're all the same. You know, they're all opportunities to create another pathway of love between you and somebody else. Um, And the intensity might be debatable, but I think it's still extremely important to understand that we have an opportunity to open a pathway of love between us and everybody else. Um, But it's work. And, And that's where one of the quotes in the book is, love is the fuel, not the glue. Love isn't what keeps us together. Love is what fuels us to keep working at it. Yeah. Keep things together and you know especially those days that we don't feel like working at it but it takes work it's not simply i love you you love me we'll be together forever it's no it's endless it's endless amounts of work and i'm sure um with the tribe that you have you know splitting your time energy focus and attention amongst everybody you know can't be easy and it's going to require a lot of work planning and communication and getting everybody on the same page uh, and then it could probably. I'm assuming it's it's a, it's a the most beautiful thing in the world.
0: It is. I want to land here on what you just said a second ago on the pathway because mm. I I grappled with that a little bit when I first read that. People are pathways to love and doors to love, and I thought, okay, it kind of sounds woo woo. I, I couldn't I couldn't bring that home, and yet as I thought about it. I wish I had a better, more intelligent and, and, uh, spiritual analogy. Uh, so my mountain bike. All right. So I just got, I, I, I was a pro cyclist. I've ridden bikes forever. That's where I experience that in running trail running, Mm -hmm. but that's where I experience flow back, you know, to Mm -hmm. Steven Kotler, who we've had on the show, man, that's where I've got a level of mastery. I can, I can go along at a rate. And, and so the, I'm going to, this with thinking about the person, the object of our love of, I could look at that and go, man, I I've been, I've been made fun of, you know, in, in a nice way of like, who's Kevin's you know, main love. It's his bike. It's not, it's not the bike. It's what it allows me to do. So this is what I'm thinking as I'm reading, as I'm, as I'm grappling with your quote on people are pathways to love doors, to love that bike. It gets me outdoors. I love the speed. I love the feeling of agility and ability and Chaos under control, uh, that flow state, uh, virility. I even you know have the aspect of, uh, of this last week and I thought, man, this I get off on this, man. This is this just dramatically enjoyable, vitality, all these things. Well, I can get those in other ways. Other people get those, uh, you know, from skiing, from, which I do some, but it's, I don't get it there. I'm a hack skier. Um, they get it from you know uh, rock climbing or, or yoga or art or music or whatever it is. They're just, again, kind of the the tool analogy there. Okay, so play with that because it sounds bad because you're not minimizing the person. If you have this person who you adore and you've come together in a, let's say a romantic relationship, a marriage, whatever. Now we're not minimizing them at all and just saying, well, they can mm-hmm. just be replaced. They're just a tool for something. I, I'm not doing that. But to me, back to that pressure that we talked about earlier, what pressure does it take off of my wife, of my kid, of my friend when I say, I mean, they are not the end all to what I experience in them. They are, as you say, a pathway, a door to love. How am I tracking?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. I think, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that when I was writing this book, you know, and, you, you tell people, you're like, oh, you're working on a book. What are you working on? Love. And then, you know, they'd be like, you're, well, you're writing about love. And like, well, what's your idea? And I was like, well, my controversial idea is, you know, the, the love you experience, you know, with your spouse is no different than the love you experience from your favorite flavor of ice cream. And I would say that. And they'd be like, what? How, you know? How dare you? It, yeah. Yeah. You've already lost me. You've yeah. minimized, you've minimized my spouse to, to a flavor of ice cream. And I'm like, no, you know, and, and I'm like, the idea is pathways and the idea is, and again, it's a, it's a Peter Crone idea. And it's, it's, it's not, I love you. It's you show me where love is. And it's also, and it also works the uh. other way for people that we dislike. Um, you know, it's you show me where my fears are you know i don't hate you you just show me where my fears are and what this is is creating these pathways is you know the the work that we do with our spouse with our kids with what have you that's what establishes you know the pathway and paves it and 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 reinforces it so you know you can have these temporary pathways with anybody and, you know, they're fleeting and they move forward. But when you sit there and build with somebody, you establish a richer, deeper, stronger pathway. And, 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 and my belief is you can do this with anybody, but some are just easier than others. Hmm. You know, it's not as much work for you to do this with one of your children as it is for you to potentially do it with me or for you to do it with somebody else. Right. Now, again, even your relationship with cycling, it's, it's cycling shows you where love is. It's not the bike. Right. You know, and I think that's probably the one because you can replace the bike. Yeah. You know, you may have sentimental values to the bike, but you can replace it. Or I could show you some, a bike that addresses certain issues. You may have knee issues and here's a new bike that's better for your knees or what have you, but it's cycling that shows you where love is, but that also you established a pathway with it. You know, it it might've been love at first sight or love at first ride, but for you to continually do it, I think there's importance there. And I think the love of that is, you know, it goes beyond passion. You know, it's actually probably an obsession. And um, the way I define obsession is when the challenge of it excites you. You know, when I, when I say, hey, let's, let's take the cycling trip. It's going to be, here are all the ways it's going to suck. And you look at that, you're like, ooh, I never had a chance to try that before. Yeah, And I've seen this. I, I, I have yeah. a friend who keeps meticulous records that we gamble on darts and video games. And I'm talking about a dollar. Like we'll play FIFA on PlayStation for a dollar, but he keeps the most meticulous records of who owes who what. And nobody—I I think the biggest debt is eighteen dollars. Um, and I thought he was just being extremely petty until I realized, like, that's his—the his, his, activity of the data, keep, keeping the uh-huh. data—that's exactly is his pathway to love. Because he also planned his his bachelor party; he organized it himself. And everybody left the bachelor party getting some of their original money back like he was so efficient with the planning um he's an airport security guard for a living you know he's a high school dropout he never he never pursued this he never realized he had this natural obsession whereas someone like me i'm not i'm not trying to go near a spreadsheet and this Mm -hmm. guy's spreadsheets on his phone to keep track of travel expenses to keep track of gambling debts And it's not about the money it's about the activity and it's about everybody kind of naturally finding what their thing is and it is going to be different and that's the reason the world is such a beautiful place because somebody cares about something that we don't care about somebody cycling for you is bridge building for somebody else it's 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 auto mechanics for somebody else it's it's plumbing for somebody else it's sculpting it's it's architecture it's writing books it's rapping and all of these put together create the system that we know of society and you know the 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 the, the guy who cycles and and, and films it and, and and makes money off of that serves the purpose to, to to create content for everybody else wanting to get exposed to that. And, and, and they'll learn it that way. And that's one of the reasons even you know, when I was with a teacher is that the kids have so many subjects. What you're trying to do is just get them to dip their toe into different things. Like, right. You know, For the next three months, we'll learn about magnets. Then we'll learn about rocks. Then we'll learn about plants. Then we'll learn about animals in the life cycle. Then we'll learn about chemistry. And you're just trying to get them to dip their toe into it. Because for some of them, once they're exposed, like nothing will ever be the same. Once you, you, you give a kid a little keyboard and they play with it, all of a sudden it's like, this is my thing. I, uh, you have shown me where love is. And the beauty of that is it needs to be diverse for everybody because that's where the world is. And encouraging you know every, every single human being when provided an opportunity of education or exposure to, to different activities becomes a potential innovator. And we you know, and this is why it's so important to educate the planet because yeah. we have so many, especially women who are underserved in this war in, in this in this part. And when you put them in a position to discover where love is for them, you know, they're eventually going to use that to benefit society. And 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 there's a beauty in that. So for me, when I look at love, as I said, it's about Opening your sails and and, and find, finding that breeze, and you found that breeze through cycling. You find that breeze in your children. You find that breeze in, in your wife. Uh, you find that breeze maybe in a specific—the song you 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 had your first kiss to, maybe, or you lot, or to a certain film. And I think the more of these pathways we establish, as you said, the less pressure I, we put on other people.
0: Yeah, the way and you say, it, it, man. Again, the way you say it, it 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 does. It takes the pressure off but it doesn't devalue the person for you to say, and you said it, you show me where love is. And I'm, I'm just, I keep riffing on that. Then yeah. for me to have somebody and say, man, I experience love in union with you more than maybe anyone else. How, how wonderful is that? It doesn't make you the end all. Yeah. Tool again, that's a terrible word I know, but I could say the same thing, you know, with music does, does humble make the best music on the planet? No. Is, is your music the only music I ever want else to do? No. But somebody's going to come along and say, man, your music, it moves me like no other music. I experience X, love, whatever, through Mm. your music. That elevates you, but takes the pressure off of, no, it is only your music. And if I don't listen to it every day, if I only go to your concerts, I can't go to anybody else's concert ever again. Uh, And it takes that pressure off while still elevating the beauty, the glory of, again, I love that line, you show me where... Love is. How beautiful and, is that.
1: And in addition to that, yeah. the, the beauty of that from a from a pragmatic relationship standpoint, um and, and, and we all do this. We all want to share our enthusiasms with the people we love. Right. But we can strengthen these pathways of love if we ask them to share with us their enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, so instead of you going to your wife, hey, let's go cycling, say, Hey, what is your cycling? Is it is it is it pottery? Is it knitting? Is it collecting gnomes i don 't know what it is dance whatever it is huh? what dance is it? would be hers dance is dance like, hey let 's dance yeah and now what what, what that 's going to do for her is now she 's associating two different pathways of love together, strengthening both yeah you know diving into a world again you have, you, have a, you have a bunch of children, each of them are going to have unique ones uh, you know friends family and, and I think that is 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 a really big one because so often we feel so isolated in the things we love, we want to share people. I want you to hear my favorite song, I want you to watch my favorite movie. But really it should be like what is your favorite song? What is your favorite movie? Where where does where does love reveal itself to you? And let me join you there with a level of enthusiasm that makes you feel seen and heard and valued even more. And then again, not only is that the opposite, you know, not only does that not add pressure to them, you know, that helps relieve even more pressure for them because they feel like okay, you know, the things that I love, I'm encouraged to do this both solo, but also my partner wants to be a part of it with me. Right.
0: i the book. Uh, the message is beautiful. It's poetic. Uh, and I found it profoundly poignant. So uh, thank you for being here and uh, for helping show me where love
1: is. I'm honored. I appreciate you you sharing your platform, you know, your audience and your time with me. Well, again, you can find Humble the Poet's new book, How to Be
0: Loved, anywhere and find him and all his social media at HumbleThePoet.com. I just thank you for listening. And this right here is a show to really ponder and discuss with those you want to love and be loved by. I'm sincerely grateful that you've chosen to listen to me, Kevin Miller, and this podcast, Self Helpful. Hope you got great value I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others.